We're continuing our series on experiencing God. Um, by no means is, is the only way that we experience God through the three topics we're covering, God's word and worshiping him in prayer. But those are three big components that help us grow and develop our relationship with him. And so we're kind of focusing on those three topics at the start of the year. We began uh, doing about a four-week study on the word, God's word, and the role it plays in developing our relationship with Jesus. Um, And then we just finished up last week on a a little mini-series on worship and the role worship plays in developing our relationship with the Lord. And so this morning, we're kicking off a few weeks where we're going to spend time on prayer and the role that prayer plays in our lives, in our relationship with the Lord. And I just have to say, um, while we're separating each of these to kind of hold them up and look at them from a few different angles, what's up, buddy? Can I just get a hug this morning? Can I get a hug, Rafa? No? Yeah, come on, buddy. Oh, I almost got the okay. All right. I, was, I thought you were going to come give me a hug, buddy. No? Okay. All right. Well, I love you, dude. Good to see you this morning. I didn't even notice you at first, and you peeked around Miss Don's shoulder there. Sorry, I just got to say hi to my buddy. If you change your mind, you can come up and give me a hug, okay? All right. He's like, quit talking to me. Um, so these are all interconnected. That's the truth. The bottom line is when I'm in God's word, a conversation is happening. If I'll, if I'll open myself up to it, he's speaking to me. I can even reflect back to him things I'm reading. Um, we'll actually have probably a, a Sunday in this prayer series where we talk about praying God's word and the power of doing that. And so these are very much interconnected. Worship is a conversation. It's hearing God speak his love and his truth over our lives and us responding back to him. That's prayer. That's a conversation. And so it is all interconnected, but we're going to spend a little bit of time specifically over a few weeks talking about prayer. Now, I wanted to start this this morning by talking about the importance of our words. Words matter. They matter. Um, My wife does a great job of helping me. I just have some weird verbal tics and things that I do where like, I say a word incorrectly, or I use the wrong word at the wrong time. Um, There's this one word in particular I really struggle with, and my wife is constantly like going, babe, you're saying it again. For some reason, the word capacity, I know that word, I understand it, I use it. I say compacity. I change the A to an O and an M. I don't know why. I just throw it in there. I say compacity. It's like a tick. I can't get over it. I've tried to tell myself to stop saying it, and I still do it. Some of you are like, yeah, I've heard you say that. Like, compacity. So Amy, my wife, will lovingly and kindly just remind me, like, babe, did you hear yourself? You just said compacity. It's capacity. It's capacity. And she corrects me. So One time, several of us were hanging out, and we began to have a conversation, and my wife was correcting me about a word, the word cul-de-sac. Sarah already knows where this is going. Me and Sarah just crack up about this. The word cul-de-sac. Okay, now, I grew up on a cul-de-sac. I live on one now. I have said my whole life cul-de-sac, and I pronounce the S like it's a Z, cul-de-sac. That's how I pronounce it. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. So my wife starts giving me a really hard time. She's like, it's an S. It's called a sack, called a sack with an S. And so I looked at her and I was like, well, there's other words with S's that we say a Z. I don't say, can I have some cheese, please? And we all cracked up laughing because I'm a goober. And, uh, and so it's like, yeah, it's cheese, please. And so that was my defense of why I can say cul-de-sac incorrectly. Um, 
But words matter. I know this is like a silly, silly example, but words matter. And so I want to start this morning by showing you hopefully a more serious and more important aspect of where words matter by looking at at this story together found in Genesis 18. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just camp out in this entire chapter, Genesis 18. It's the story of an encounter, kind kind of a bit of a mysterious encounter between Abraham and between the Lord. And there's this, this physical appearance of God and this face-to-face interaction that begins to happen. And we're just going to check this out together. So I want to begin by reading the first three verses of Genesis chapter 18. And I'm telling you right now, there's a word missing. There's a word missing. And then I'll show you what it is in a minute. So let's just jump in and read this and kind of kick off our morning together. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, talking about Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. And as Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant." So it's a really crazy story. He, he recognizes something about it. He's drawn to this figure, these three figures, and, and he realizes whose presence he's in. Oh, Lord. It's the word Adonai there. It's one of the Old Testament words given to ascribe who the Lord is. It's declaring his name. So there was no mistaking. He realizes he's in God's presence. He sees it first. He, he looks a little more intently and then realizes and rushes forward, gets on his face, and, and declares that, O oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, most of your English translations, even the very best ones, leave something out right here. There's a, there's a small little word that's actually there in the Hebrew, and they just sort of consider it unnecessary, and so they leave it out. Thank goodness for the good old-fashioned King James. Like every now and then you just got to bust out the old-fashioned King James. I'm not saying it's perfect. Every translation has its little tiny idiosyncrasies that we just have to like, hey, there's a thing here that's maybe a little bit different, slightly off. Um, And so let's check this out. Just verse 3, and let's see if we notice what's missing or what's added now. Genesis chapter 18, just verse 3. This is his response to the Lord. And Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Did y'all catch what was extra there? That little phrase, I pray thee. I pray thee. Now, it's actually just one word in Hebrew. So here's what that word means. It gets translated a few different ways in the Old Testament. It shows up a lot. It it often gets translated pray. Um, It also gets translated as beseech. The idea behind that word, it's sort of like the old school way of saying, um, pray tell, or would you please? Probably the best way for us to understand it or translate it in our common speech today would actually be the word please. Please. It's an expression of um, a request. There's a sense of um, uh, respect in the word please. It's not just a demand or a command. So it's, it's a request. It's a sign of kind of respectfulness, but it's saying, please, would you do this? And I don't think it's insignificant. I don't think it should be missing. It's there for a reason. Please. Now, this word 
It's a participle, meaning please now. Um, the most common use of this word, it's similar to the antiquated phrase, pray tell. We just said that a second ago. And it's frequently um, left out of different versions of the Bible, but it's a polite form of asking for something. Um, so I found myself this week as, as I was just kind of digging into this passage and looking at this word. And it's like, God, you used this word was used quite a bit in the Old Testament to designate people praying to you, people um, crying out to you, God, please, please. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place where like all you can muster is just, oh God, please, would you? But I love that sense, that cry in Abraham's heart saying, God, please. And what is it that he's asking for? He's saying, God, would you please stay? He recognizes that the Lord is present and his first concern is, God, don't leave. Stick around. I don't want this to just be a brief moment, a brief encounter that, that passes by and I miss it. God, would you please stay? It is good that you're here. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know the, the old movie from the 80s, The Princess Bride. Um, but I just, I found myself, um, I found myself very much like the man in black when he was saying, it was the please that caught my attention. Y'all remember that part of the movie? It was the please that caught my attention. Just something stood out to me about it this morning. And so I, I really believe that there's something here for us as it relates to our attitude towards prayer. That we would have this attitude that Abraham had where he recognized God was present and his heart cry was, God, would you please stay? Please stay. So I want to just... I want us to just pause here for a minute and let's check out a few things that we see in his behavior in these first three verses here. The first thing that I notice is that he notices. Say that again. The first thing I notice is that he notices. He's hanging out. He knows. He's hanging out in the middle of the day. It's hot. He's sitting by his tent. This is probably that like, Heat of the day, it's exhausting. I'm pausing from my work. I'm taking a break. And man, he easily could have just fallen asleep. But there he is resting at the doorway to his tent, probably trying to pick up a little breeze. And he notices, hey, under that oak tree over there, wait a minute, something's going on. And, and notice in the passage, it actually gives us three different expressions of Abraham paying attention. So the first thing it says is that he lifted his eyes. This requires action. He didn't just kind of casually notice somebody was there. He's, he changed his view. Maybe his head was down. Maybe he was kind of looking off in the distance, and this was like a peripheral thing. Did I even say that word right? Now I'm going to be super self-conscious that I'm saying all my words wrong this morning. I'm like terrible at that. Okay, you know, you would think if you do some like preaching for a living, maybe you should be better with your words. Y'all are stuck with me, I guess. So anyways, he has to change his viewpoint. So he stops whatever he's looking at and shifts his gaze intentionally and notices these three guys. He lifts his eyes to look. Okay, then the second word that we see, it says he looked. Now that seems like a simple enough word. I mean, you already said he lifted his eyes to see. He looked. This idea, this word, it actually means not only just to see, it means so that you can learn to know something. So you can learn to know something. The idea is to be able to experience, 
to perceive or to find out. In other words, I'm looking with some intent. Um, maybe an example I would give of this is our hallway on Sunday mornings. I don't know if any of you guys are, are blessed with a little less than 20-20 vision, but if you're hanging out in the coffee area and somebody walks in the door at the end of the hallway, some of us less fortunate, especially if my glasses are off, might be doing a little, who is that? I'm trying to see if I recognize that person. A little squinting, right? And you just, you pay a little more attention, person comes into focus, oh, it's my buddy, so-and-so, and then you recognize, and there's that moment of realization. Now I understand what I'm looking at. Can y'all, can y'all relate to what I'm saying here? It's just paying a little extra attention, uh, taking note in order to perceive or understand what you're looking at. And so Abraham not only has to stop and shift his focus, but then he pauses long enough to say, let me really understand what I'm looking at. Is this just three strangers standing by the tree? And because he shifted his perspective and because he paused long enough on what he was looking at, we get to the third thing that happens. And that is the word behold, behold. This is like a sudden interjection. It expresses strong feelings. The word behold is attached to the word surprise, hope, expectation, excitement. It's the aha moment. He goes from just three strangers standing under the tree to shifting his gaze, to paying close attention to the aha moment. Wait a minute. This isn't just three bros by the tree. That's God. That's Adonai. That's my Lord. And his heart leaps within him so much so that what does he do? He runs. He jumps up. He runs over and he falls on his face. Listen, I just wonder how many times we're really aware of how near and how present God is. And not only the fact that he is near, but what a miracle it is that the God of heaven and earth is near to me. I don't know about you, but I find myself a lot like the disciples the night Jesus was betrayed. Y'all remember that story? He's on his way. They've had the Lord's Supper. He knows he's about to be betrayed, and so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Several passages let us know this was a regular spot for him to get away to pray. And so he goes to to a common spot where he's going to spend time with the Lord. And when he gets there, remember what he asked the disciples to do? A few of them he kind of leaves over here and says, hey, you guys just kind of stay here, maybe keep watch. He calls the most intimate, his closest, Peter, James, and John, to come a little further with them. And he says, will you watch and pray with me? He goes, he prays for a little bit, he comes back. How does he find them? Sleeping. And what does he say to them? Could you not just tarry? You hear what he's saying? He's saying to the disciples, please stay. Please stay. Will you stay with me in prayer? And all too often, I find myself in this place, and I think the reality is for the church over the centuries, we have found ourselves modeling the behavior of the disciples where prayer is like this thing I've got to just kind of psych myself up for. I've got to dig up some more energy to do it. But there's all kinds of things that, that get in the way. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And it feels, it feels like an obligation. And I feel like I'm in this position of God's going, hey, will you please stay? And I'm just like kind of hanging back to the side. But the truth is we are actually 
not in the position of the disciples trying to trudge and stick with him. We're in the position of Abraham. We're friends of God. He's present. And if we could just recognize how present he is, how available he is, and the benefit of being in his presence, we wouldn't be hearing Jesus saying, please, Terry. Our hearts would be crying out, God, please stay. I can't get enough of your presence. I long for it. I want it. I treasure the fact that you're right here, right now, available. And the truth is, he is available. He is available. And so if we could have that attitude that Abraham had in this encounter, he sees, he shifts his focus, he pauses long enough to be in awe of the fact that God is present. And then what does he do? He responds with reverence and anticipation, both. Reverence and anticipation. I, I do think there is a place in our prayers where we tend, tend to land in one place or the other, maybe. For some of us, we've, we've got a very well-developed sense of reverence for God and recognizing like, whoa, this is like creator of the world stuff. This is like the God who speaks and stuff happens. He creates because he says, let there be light. And I understand that I'm in the presence of a holy God. And that requires a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of getting on my face before him. That is right. That is good. Others of us have a, a really strong sense of recognizing um, the truth of the fact that Jesus said, I can boldly enter the throne of grace. And I, I'm, I'm very well aware of the fact that God calls me friend. I get to be a friend like Abraham was called. I get to be a friend of God. Those two things are meant to work together. And sadly, for many in the church, we tend to just live in one spot or the other. I have a sense of reverence for God, but I don't feel any special intimacy or closeness or friendship. I don't even know if I'm allowed to have that. Am I allowed? That feels too casual. Anybody ever struggle with that, that feeling too casual? I, I've battled that over the years. Um, others get so comfortable in recognizing him as their friend, it just turns into like my pal Jesus, my buddy and me, and we lose the sense of awe and reverence for who's in front of us. Abraham had both. He shifted his gaze, recognized who the Lord was, and he has that sense of reverence, and he's excited to be in his presence. Come, come hang out. Come be here. Would you please stay? And so my hope, my desire as we move into this series more and more on prayer is at the simplest level, we would just recognize there's an invitation before us daily to have the God of the universe present in our lives. It's not an obligation. It's not something to feel guilty for. We don't have to carry ourselves around with the attitude of the disciples, beating ourselves up. I didn't pray enough. No, let me shift my focus and see him and recognize he's present and come to him in awe and in expectation. God, can we hang for a while? Does that make sense? Y'all see that this morning? Okay, so here's, here's what we're gonna do as we jump into this a little bit more. Um, I just wanna look with you guys at a few different things that we see kind of unpacked through the rest of the scripture. And I think they give us um, a picture of some different ways that we pray and some things that happen as we pray in our relationship with the Lord. And so if we move into that place of, oh God, please stay, here's some things that we see. Um, one of the things that we see, it was already expressed a little bit in those first few verses, but let's pick this up from the moment where Abraham is saying, please stick around. 
then this is what, what he begins to talk about and do after he makes his case. Go, oh God, please stay. Verse 4. He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Verse 6. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Some of you ladies might feel like that was a little, that was a little abrupt there. Hey, chop, chop, bake a cake. The good news is Abraham was planning on doing a lot of work himself as well. So he invites Sarah to help out. And then verse seven, he runs to the herd and he took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set it before them. And then he stood by them under the tree while they ate. I love this. Abraham snaps into action. He's washing and refreshing their feet. He's helping them rest. Hey, take a load off. Stay here for a while. He's feeding. He adopts this posture of waiting. After he lays out the banquet before him and brings them everything, he just stayed nearby and hung out. He hung out. He was in no rush. He was in no hurry. He didn't have a whole list of requests or things he was expecting to get. He was just grateful to be serving and to be in the Lord's presence. One of the first things we need to recognize about prayer is that there's an attitude of waiting on the Lord. I'm deeply indebted to um, a pastor that I've just listened to over the years named John Corson. Um, you guys will hear me mention other pastors over the years, just people who've been influencers in my life. And heard John Corson um, preaching on waiting on God one time. And he talked about it like actually the, the mentality of being a waiter or a server. That part of waiting on the Lord is serving him. It's being attentive to him. It's listening to what maybe he's asking instead of just what I'm wanting when I'm waiting. Lord, what are you up to? What can I do for you? And, and having an attitude of serving as we wait, that's a part of waiting. And I believe we see that in this passage here. Abraham is serving the Lord. But then we also see there is genuine just waiting. He gets in the Lord's presence and he hangs out there. Okay, God, here's where you are. That's where I'm gonna be. I'm gonna wait. I'm just gonna see who you are, what you're going to do, what conversation we may have. Now, Abraham isn't just physically waiting. He's also intentionally waiting on something, a promise that has been given. Um, we're about to see in a minute a conversation that begins to happen with Abraham about Sarah and about a child and a promised child. But I want to give you a little bit of backstory before we start this. This conversation we're about to read is not the first time God has talked to Abraham about having a child. So we're in Genesis chapter 18. If you were to go back, and you don't have to do this now, but if you want to jot these down, you can look at them later. If we were to go back to Genesis 12, when, when Abraham was still Abram, him and God begin to have a dialogue. And God tells him to go to this land he will show him. And then he also tells him, look up at the stars and your family is going to become so big, it's going to become a whole nation bigger than, than the stars that you could number. It's going to be huge, beyond number, beyond measure. Your family's going to be huge. Well, Abram was 75 years old when that conversation happened, and he had not yet had any kids. Him and his wife, Sarah, had not had children. And so here he is, 75 years old, getting this promise. Well, 
we move forward a little bit in Abram's life and he responds to the Lord and he goes to the place God shows him and he moves his family and him and Lot travel and they begin to settle in this new territory in the land of Canaan. And in Genesis 15, God shows up again after they've arrived in the land and God reaffirms this promise. So a few years have passed and God's talking to him about it again. Hey, this is gonna happen. Chapter 16, third time. At this point, at 86 years old in Genesis chapter 16, so 75, 86, 11 years have passed of waiting, and Abram and Sarah are like, man, this ain't happening. Nothing's happened yet. And so they decide, well, we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll do this. We, we got this. And so Sarah goes, hey, here's my servant Hagar. Why don't you and her have a child? And it'll be as if that was my child, it's my servant this will work. We'll, we'll figure this out for God. We'll kind of put this together for him. This, this is probably what he intended for us to do to kind of figure this out on our own. And so here we go. 11 years of waiting is long enough. Let's make it happen. And so he has a son through Hagar. Well, chapter 17, Genesis 17. He's now 99 years old. This is 13 years after the birth of his son Ishmael from Hagar. So think about the math here. It's been almost 25 years since the original promise. It's been 13 years since Abram and Sarah decided on their own, we got this. And God shows up one more time again and reaffirms the original promise. This is where he renames Abram, Abraham, and Sarai, Sarah. And he says, I'm telling you, Abraham, through your wife, Sarah, you will have a son. And his name will be called Isaac. And in that moment, Abraham laughs. Abraham laughs. And the, the name Isaac means laughter. Abraham's just kind of in awe. Like, really, God, this is going to happen still? We're 25 years removed from this promise. I didn't get younger, by the way. I'm 99 now. And God says it's going to be a year. All right? So that's what's leading up to this story. Um, and, oh, by the way, and there's no kids in the room, so this isn't super awkward. Still might be a little bit. He was told um, this is where God implemented circumcision. And so Abraham is a 99-year-old man. His son Ishmael, 13, and all the men of his household had to be circumcised. I'm sure that was a load of fun. So Abraham's stepping into this. Why am I taking the time to show you guys this? Waiting on God is miserable sometimes. Am I the only one that feels that way? Yeah, it cuts to the core. Great job, Rob. Well played. It hurts. Physically, it hurts. It hurts deeply. Man, when you're waiting and believing, and this isn't even just a hope you invented. Sometimes there's things, man, I know God spoke this. God, what is going on? 25 years? Are you kidding all these moments of silence in between, you know, I can read verse chapters 12 through 18 pretty quick. I can do that in a morning over a cup of coffee. This was 25 years. These are, these are long, slow years in between where Abraham is, he's launched out in faith. He's done things God's called him to, and it hasn't always worked out. He got the crummy area to live. Lot took the good spot. He went to the promised land and he got the extra, the leftover that was unwanted. He's stuck getting older and older and not having a son. He's living with disappointment. He's living with unfulfilled promises. And yet God just shows up every now and then and just reminds him, I love you. I'm with you. I promised. 
and he's waiting. And it's in that context that we find Abraham sitting under the tree and he sees the Lord and he doesn't go, hmm, you again, huh? I have to admit, I'm worried I might have responded that way. Oh, yeah, thanks, great, you showed up again. What, how much is this gonna hurt this time? <laughs> right? Like it would have been so easy to respond by like that, but he didn't. In fact, now he's getting to the point where he recognizes the Lord. And so when he stopped and it got his attention, he's like, wait a minute, seems kind of familiar. Let me check out. See, yep, it's him. He runs. He's in reverence once again. He's in awe. He wants God to stick around. I love that. Abraham has learned how to wait on the Lord. He serves him and he's hanging out in his presence. Listen, I just have to tell you something. There are things in our Christian life that require effort. Now, I want to tell you, there is a big difference between earning and effort. I'm thankful for the Reformation and the reality of God's grace and that we don't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't do stuff to manipulate God to get what we want. I'm grateful for that. We're not earning anything. We're his. We belong to him. But there are aspects of our faith that if we want to step into certain things that God has for us, it requires our participation. And the effort will bring about a reward. It will. And so prayer requires some effort. And waiting in prayer requires some effort. And so here's Abraham waiting on the Lord. And in the midst of him waiting and all these years of this particular promise being unfulfilled, Check out what happens. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. They said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Now, I'm not going to get into analyzing how Sarah might have been feeling about the Lord, but maybe she could relate a little bit more to me with the attitude of like, mm-hmm, yeah, you're back. Okay, we'll see. I don't know if that's what was going on in her heart, but I just take note of the fact that she was in the tent and not outside in the Lord's presence. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? This is someone who's gotten tired of waiting. She's worn out. She's run down. She's even physically going like, this can't even happen anymore. Things have changed. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. I love that. The Lord's like not letting her off the hook. No, you laughed. I know. (laughs) Now, here's what I love about this. First of all, I love the fact that God's heart is an intention is that he seeks to do something for Abraham and Sarah that will bring them great joy. He desires to do that. I also love the fact that when they maybe are reaching a place of hopelessness and despair, He's still in. He's still in. I just, I think it's interesting. You know, I know faith plays a massive role in our prayer lives. I know that. I understand that. We will preach that. We will talk about it. 
But it's really the one we put our faith in that makes things happen, not the strength of our faith. I bring this tiny little bit. And even though Sarah is embarrassed to admit that she kind of smirked and is laughing and feeling hopeless, even when she's called out about it, the Lord's just kind of like, no, I saw that. But he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, oh, you discouraged, frustrated one, forget it. He doesn't say that. See, Sarah does what I feel like I tend to do and what's so easy to slip into, and that is being afraid to let the Lord see how I really feel. But he's saying, listen, I see it anyways, and you know what? It's all right. I get it. I understand it. He can even have a little bit of fun with it. Oh, you were laughing, huh? Okay. We'll see, how, we'll see where that laugh is in a year when I come back. I love that. He just hangs in there with her. We are free to be real with God. We don't have to hide in the tent and smirk or be frustrated. We can come right into his presence and say, God, I'm, I'm beat up. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm just not seeing it. We can be that real and vulnerable with him. He sees it anyways, and he loves us through it. And so we wait on him, and then we see him. What I love here is we see him um, answering a personal promise. You know, when we're praying with the Lord, we can talk to him about real things we're going through. It's meant to be personal. And God wants to do stuff for us. That is an aspect of our prayer life, is talking to him about what's going on, about what's real with us. He sees it, he hears it, he cares. And we can hang in there and wait on him. Secondly, the next thing that we see happen is in verses 16 through 21. So this conversation kind of wraps up and the men are about to set out. And in verse 16, it says, Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. I love that. He is getting every last minute that he can with the Lord. And so they go walking. They're heading down towards Sodom. They're on their way. And they're kind of looking out over this, this town. And in verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. What I see in this, in this part here, in this passage here, is something really cool that happens in our prayer lives. And that is that the Lord gives us insight. He gives us insight. When we're spending time with him, he begins to give us more and more his perspective, his outlook on things. Notice, because Abraham's just kind of sticking with him, he's like, you know what, Abraham, I'm, I'm not going to keep this hidden from you. We're close. In fact, there's all these things I see in you growing and developing. Really, what, what the Lord's describing is, is almost a sense of intimacy. Abraham, I've entrusted you with something. I've entrusted you with who I am and what I'm like and what it means to follow me. I've entrusted you you're learning more and more what righteousness and justice looks like. And you're going to pass that on to your kids and their kids and their kids. And I'm going to begin to give you some insight into what's happening in this world. I'm going to let you see Sodom and Gomorrah from my perspective. I'm going to talk to you about what's taking place there. 
one of the things that will happen in our prayer lives as we spend time with the Lord is he'll begin to give us insight beyond just our own personal needs, but about the, the environment we're living in. He may speak to you about your family, your workplace, your city. He may say stuff to you about our nation, but God will, will begin to speak to us about his heart. It's really a sharing of his heart. Let me give you insight into what I think and how I feel and what I want to do. He invites us into that. And the Lord gives us insight into choices and decisions we may make. He gives us insight into what's taking place around us. And it can even further fuel our prayer life, which is what's about to happen with Abraham. See, God compliments Abraham here. He also specifically says, Abraham, one of the things that impresses me about you is that you're going to pass on my sense of righteousness and justice. What is it that the Lord's about to bring on Sodom and Gomorrah? He's about to bring some judgment. He's about to bring some judgment and some justice for the wrong that's been done. And so here's Abraham being given insight into what's happening in the world around him and how God feels about it. See, the truth is, um, the Lord is actually, it's always a risky comparison to say the Lord's like us. We're, we're made in his image. We reflect him a little bit. He's so far above and beyond us. But there are some principles at play. And one of the things that I see in scripture with the Lord is that he does what we do. He shares secrets, secrets with the people he's really close with, the people that he loves. Daniel, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, God gave him all kinds of insight into things he was going to do in the future. What was Daniel known for? That bro prayed. He hung out in God's presence consistently, faithfully. John, the beloved disciple, I know he called himself that, but he was speaking about a deep love he had for the Lord. He hung around him. He was the one laying his head on Jesus' breast. Who got the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the New Testament? All this prophetic stuff about the future. John, the one whom the Lord loved. He does what we do. Who do I share my deepest secrets with? People I love, people I'm in relationship with, people I have my back. We're close, we're intimate, and I invite them in. The Lord does that. As we lean into him and grow in our relationship with him, he becomes more and more intimate with us and he shares insight and secrets because he can trust us with him. And because he knows through that intimacy with the Lord, we're starting to change. And that's what I love, this last thing we're gonna look at here. This last thing we're going to see is we're going to see intercession and, and a change in Abraham. He begins to reflect God's character more and more. Let's check this out. Genesis 18, verse 22 through 26. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. He's still not leaving. But now he's, he's thinking about something intently. He has a purpose now in what he wants to say. Then Abraham drew near. I love the imagery of that. He draws near to the Lord and he says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, what about the good people in Sodom and Gomorrah? What about them? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He appeals to God about righteousness and justice, the very thing the Lord was just telling him 
that he was beginning to reflect. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, I want you to hear this really clearly. Abraham is having a conversation with God and he's trying to change God's mind. He's bargaining with him. God, I know what you're about to go do. You're about to go wipe out that city and I'm asking you if you'll please stop. He begins to have this conversation. Listen, prayer is not a tool for manipulating God. It's a process for developing relationship with him. But I will say, prayer may change his mind. What? I don't know how that works. It's a mystery to me. He's sovereign. He sees all. He knows all. But I know he gets down and he gets intimate with us. And we see in scripture in a few instances where God has these wrestling matches. He has these conversations with people. And he engages them where they are. And through relationship, there is an exchange. Now, I'm not saying we will often change his mind. I'm saying it's possible. But I'll tell you what will definitely change. If we spend time wrestling with God in prayer, we will. He will change us. And what was really happening in this story is Abraham is becoming more and more like the God he loves. And in the midst of righteousness and justice, he also has a heart for God's tender mercy. Abraham's becoming like his God as he's spending time with him. And so he's reflecting back to the Lord what the Lord has already shown him. And so he's crying out for mercy. God, will you relent? Will you do this thing? Now, in the midst of that, he still stays humble. Check this out. Genesis 18, verse 27, the very next verse there. Abraham answered and he said, okay, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. He's, he's still staying in this attitude of humility, even as he's talking with the Lord. But I love this. He doesn't stop at 50. And so he continues on. Okay, God, well, what about 45? If there's just 45, God says, okay, if there's 45, the story goes on. Okay, well, what about 40? What if there's 40? Okay, for 40, I'll relent. What about 30? If there's just 30 righteous? I mean, I love this. Just back and forth, back and forth. And each time God goes, okay, for that number, I'll relent. God, 20. There's 20 people in town who are righteous, who are good. Will you spare the whole place? Yeah, I will. Abraham dares to ask one more time. God, if there's even just 10 Will you do it for 10? And God says, yeah, I'll do it for 10. The sad thing is, it's a story for another day, but there weren't 10 people in that town who were righteous, who loved the Lord. Now, I share the story for a couple of reasons. One, I believe God wants us to stand in the gap and pray for a world in need. Yes, we are meant to wait on the Lord ourselves, personally and intimately. There are specific things, desires, things that we long for that he wants to speak to and answer and touch. There are things, insights he wants to give us about decisions we can make in life and the world around us. But he wants us to become more and more like him. The scripture tells us that Jesus ever lives to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is praying for us all the time. And God invites us to learn how to pray for other people and to pray for them the way we would hope we would be prayed for. God, I want you to be righteous and bring justice. God, I want you to show some mercy too. He was able to look out at this town of Sodom, this wicked place, and see it kind of the way God sees it. 
Man, it's a place that was a mess. But Lord, if there's any righteousness, there's anyone who's turning to you, looking on you, will you show mercy? And God still does. He rescued Lot and his family out of that mess. Lot by no means was a perfect dude. But ultimately, he believed and trusted in God and God rescued him out of that mess before judgment came. Jesus tells us what's in front of us, my friends. And he tells us in the last days, it's going to get ugly. It's going to look like Sodom and Gomorrah. He points to that specifically. And he doesn't want us to become so jaded by the world that we live in that we're just sitting up on the mountaintop going, yeah, zap them. They deserve it. I'm through with it. It's hard hanging in there. It's hard hanging in there. I don't know about you guys. I, I got discouraged this last year. It wasn't just about the election. It was about other things, but it's just like, man, just the, the foaming, anger, bitter, every side against every side and just such a mess. And for me, it's one of, the, one of the biggest messes I feel like I remember in my adult life on a large scale. And in the midst of that, God calls me to the place of having eyes that have a heart to say, God, will you relent? God, will you be merciful? Lord, I'm gonna pray for these people that they would repent. God, that they would acknowledge you, that they'd be rescued and saved. God, this messy, ugly, nasty situation we're in, God, would you touch these people's lives? I don't want my heart to become so hardened that I'm just kind of over here taking care of me, praying for me, looking out for me and mine. I wanna have his eyes of compassion and love for the world around me. So this is, this is kind of where we're going to launch out into prayer together. We're going to talk about um, different words for prayer, different ways that we pray, how we pray. We're going to learn a lot of stuff together as we go through this series. But the overall kind of outlook is going to be um, developing a personal relationship with the Lord, learning how to just have prayers of petition. God, here's what's going on in my life. Um, learning how to listen to him and get insight into God. What do you want to say to me about who I am and where I'm at? And ultimately, learning how to bear others' burdens in prayer, to have a heart that prays for other people and standing in the gap for them. That's where we're heading together. My hope, my desire, is that we would all adopt the posture of simply, God, please stay. God, please stay. That prayer wouldn't be this discipline that I gotta get better at, and I sleep through it too much, and I'm lazy, and I'm beating myself up and feeling guilty, but just that God would get my attention every now and then. And I go, oh, yeah, you're right here. You're right here. Please stay. I want to spend time with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. God, I'm blown away that we can know you. We can know you. God, there, there are millions, if not billions of people on this planet who believe in gods that are nothing like you, that are unapproachable, that are distant, that are judgmental. Prayer is simply a form of control and manipulation of people. And God, I thank you that none of that is your heart. Lord, I thank you that your heart is to know us, to walk with us, that we can know you and we can know that you're close and nearby with us. God, I pray that you would place in us a heart like Abraham's, that we're looking for you, we recognize your presence. We're in awe that you're here. And God, that we would have a desire to just say, please stay. And then God, would you begin to develop some of these things in us? God, the ability to wait on you. 
Lord, the ability to, to, to hang in there, even when it's hard waiting, believing that, that you will speak to those personal promises in our life. God, those things that we care about, you care about. God, that we would have, have an attitude of hanging around with you long enough to hear you speaking, things you want to share with us, insights you want to give us, direction you may give us in life. And Lord, I pray we would become the kind of people who learn to pray for others. God, that we would intercede on the behalf of our country, our city, our coworkers, our family, our friends, our enemies. God, that we would be the kind of people that would pray for others. And that as we're asking you to change things, to do something different than what we see, God, that we would, we would notice the power of you beginning to change us. That more and more by being in your presence, we begin to reflect your character more clearly, more purely to a world that's in desperate need of an encounter with you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that we can talk to you and that you talk to us. God, help us to pray. Please stay. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.